Based on 40 years of near-death experience research, this video provides compelling, authoritative answers to life's big questions. Who are we? Where are we from? Why are we here? Along with summarizing the core truths presented by near-death experiences, this presentation also tackles issues that have confounded philosophers and traumatized spiritual seekers for ages. It also offers a tsunami of inspiring, clear, practical advice for how to live happier, healthier lives. In short, this presentation is a gold mine full of information that can change your life, the lives of those you love, and the planet we share. Near-death experiences are a global phenomenon. To date, millions of people from all walks of life and all corners of the planet have had near-death experiences, and millions more, perhaps billions, have heard about them. Here are a few statistics. A 1982 survey indicated that 15% of the U.S. population had experienced an NDE. At current population rates, that works out to 48 million Americans. A 1992 survey indicated that 5% of the U.S. population had a near-death experience. A 2001 survey indicated that 4% of the German population had an NDE. And finally, a 2005 survey indicated that almost 9% of the Australian population had a near-death experience. If we apply these statistics to the world as a whole, then between 4 and 15% of the world's population may have experienced NDEs. At current population rates, that works out to between 292 million and over 1 billion people. Vast numbers of people, in other words, are having near-death experiences. As more people are willing to share these experiences and modern resuscitation techniques become more effective, these numbers are expected to rise. What have we learned from these experiences? After 40 years of NDE research and thousands of documented experiences, are there any core truths that are the same for people everywhere? The answer is yes. Let's quickly review two major near-death experience studies, Dr. Jeffrey Long's groundbreaking research, which was published in Evidence of the Afterlife, and the Handbook of Near-Death Experiences by Jan Holden, Bruce Grayson, and Debbie James. Based on 1,300 cases, Dr. Long's study is the largest NDE study ever conducted. His discoveries are summarized in the following three handouts. The 12 elements of NDEs, 9 lines of evidence, and NDE after effects. Links to Dr. Long's book and all three of these handouts are included in the reference materials that accompany this presentation. You can also learn more about Dr. Long's work by visiting his website, or by watching my first NDE video, How Near-Death Experiences Are Changing the World. So what universal truths did Dr. Long's research reveal? The core NDE experience is the same all over the world. The experience of dying appears similar among all humans, no matter where they live. What people discover during their near-death experience is strikingly consistent across cultures, races, and creeds. While Dr. Long's research focuses on contemporary near-death experiences, NHNE has a resource page that explores historical and cross-cultural near-death experiences. 
This page also includes contemporary accounts from all over the world, including Buddhist, Muslim, Hindu, and Jewish accounts, and accounts from early human civilization. The Handbook of Near-Death Experiences also examines NDEs from around the world, past and present. Editor Dr. Jan Holden concluded that the central message of near-death experiences can be boiled down to two words, loving and learning. This is especially important because these two words, loving and learning, are directly related to the two most powerful aspects of near-death experiences, encounters with the light and the life review. Before we explore the core truths presented by near-death experiences, we need to understand that these experiences are impossible to describe. At our current level of development, we simply do not possess the ability to describe the places and states of consciousness that are visited. In addition, the experiences themselves often appear contradictory. For example, on the one hand, Near-death experiences insist that everything and everyone are perfect, just the way they are. There are no mistakes, and everything is unfolding exactly as intended. On the other hand, near-death experiences also insist that everything is not perfect. You and I are not perfect. The world is not perfect. All creation is learning, growing, and evolving. How can we resolve such contradictions? By learning to think. In new ways. I remember uh, going, moving into a different space where now from my background that I come from is a lot of black and white. This is this, that's that, this is what's good, this is what's evil, you know, this is right, this is wrong, um, this is the correct po po political way, this is the correct religion, this is not. Um, so I it came to me as I saw another uh, person who I felt this mentor quality to, oh, well, I'll, I'll, I can ask, you know. And so I went to this person, moving to this other space, and I remember coming up to him, and I didn't even need to start spitting out, you know, my question, even telepathically. It's just my, as soon as my mind thought of how I wanted to um, get an answer on, you know, what's the true religion, um, it, he, what happened is I immediately was inside of his mind um, because it was like I could see myself from his place but also from his higher level of wisdom and experience and an interesting thing happened where I was able to experience from his place um, me coming up and, and wondering what's the true religion and I could feel his mind um, how he understood me and from his place it was as if a little kid came up and said which kind of cheese is the moon made of jack cheddar or swiss and he was really sweet actually about it he didn't he didn't even really answer me in fact there was something i understood there to be about respecting how we want to see things um, so even if i thought it the moon is made out of swiss cheese i think they would have been like you know, they, I don't know that they would have said yes or no. I can't say because I didn't stay there. I came back. But um, 
when when this little thing happened and he kind of smiled at me and it was just sweet there was he wasn't making fun of me or saying you're such a silly little toddler um, he just smiled and I remember his head slightly bowing and this love emanating from him and to experiencing uh, experience myself from his view it blew everything like my whole foundation everything I'd come from it kind of just pulled it out from under me because now I'm going oh wow the moon is it's not even made of cheese not that I thought that but it was like okay it's not even about religion like and and so and yet I from his place there was this peacefulness about it so I didn't have to really freak out even um, because I could feel from his place what that was from Amy's experience and many other near-death experiences we learn that our concepts are half-baked immature and childish it is understood that we need these concepts to grow and we are deeply loved honored and adored regardless of our level of development so open your mind relax breathe and remember as Dorothy from the Wizard of Oz might say we're not in Kansas anymore For ages, the goal of many people on the spiritual path has been to experience enlightenment, cosmic consciousness, or non-dual states of awareness. While NDEs honor and include non-dual states of consciousness, they insist that we came to this world for something more. We came here to grow, evolve, and develop, to turn pancake batter into pancakes. The analogy is that in the beginning, we were all one big bowl of pancake batter, but once we get poured out onto the grill of creation, we transform into something new and different, pancakes. We are still made of the same basic substance, but whereas before we had no personal identity, now we are unique expressions of God. That's one way to describe why we came to this world. Let's listen now to several near-death experiencers. Hi, hey, Ryan Rampton here again. So I want to talk to you today about why we came to this earth. These are things that I learned in heaven. So number one, why did we come here? What is our purpose? Did we come here to be tested and tried and try to prove how righteous we are to God, keep a list of commandments or things like this? Is that why we came here? No, that is not why we came here. We came here for one thing, and that was to learn about ourselves. That's it. We came to find out who you are and how you respond to different things. So, for example, one of the main things we came here was to learn joy. We didn't know what joy was before. When we were up in heaven, we knew one thing. We knew love. That's what God was. And we learned different concepts and we learned how to do different things. But we didn't know joy and we wanted to know joy. God told us. The only way to know joy is to know sorrow. So we had to come down to this physical realm that he made so that we could learn about sorrow so that we can have joy. So we're not down here to prove anything to God. We're not down here to earn his love. We're not down here to do certain things to make ourselves righteous in his eyes. 
All those things are great. All those things are awesome. But that's not why we came down here. We came down to experience opposition. We came down here to fill the opposite. For example, we would never know what a great um, health felt like if you'd never been sick. You would never know how wonderful a day in Hawaii would be if you didn't live in a winter environment and you go to Hawaii in the middle of winter and you're going, yeah, this is awesome. And the guy on the beach that's local is like, what's the big deal, man? It's this way every day. So it's the opposition that defines us. It's the space between things that creates form. All of these things need each other. We need opposition to even know who we are. So for example, when the Lord showed me my spirit before I came to this earth, I saw this amazing, glorious, just breathtakingly beautiful, amazing warrior. And just the, the armament and the clothing and the raiment that I had on was so amazing. And I just was breathtaking to behold. So I come down here and I end up being in this little sick, weak body that spends the first seven years of its life in an oxygen tent, clinging on to life. I was skinny and scrawny up till, even when I got married, my wife actually weighed more than I did. She was 118 pounds and I was 115 pounds. So I learned what it was like to be weak. I learned what it was like to have shame. I was learned what it was like to have all these things, this opposition that made me into who I am today. Even the mistakes I've made, even all the bad things I've done in my life, all the sins, all the terrible things, they helped form me into who I am today. Why are we in this world? Here are a few comments from other near-death experiencers. When we are formless, we cannot know physical love, pleasure, and so on. We are in a state of unconditional love, so we cannot know what it's like to miss someone, and we cannot even know ourselves. We need to be here in this physical self to really know who we are. We chose to come here to know who we are. Our purpose here is to be separated from the oneness. We are here to feel pain, to feel the loneliness, to truly understand how difficult it is to be separated from God. In our struggles to love, live, and cherish, we get to do something new that can't be done when there is only peace, light, and love. Here we have the light and dark, both. God gave everything to us. Everything is here. This is where it's at. And what we are into now is God's exploration of God through us. People are so busy trying to become God that they ought to realize that we are already God and God is becoming us. That's what it is really about. When I realized this, I was finished with the void and wanted to return to this creation. And he looked down at me and he said, you're not supposed to be here. It's, it's not time for you to be here. And I remember looking up at him and saying, but I want to be here. And I had no conscious thoughts of where I'd come from or anything. I mean, it wasn't a matter, a matter of getting away or in lieu of. It was just, with all my heart, I wanted to be there. 
I, I wanted to come. I wanted to go home. And I was, I was happy. And he, he took a pause, and he kind of, you could see him thinking about something and deciding whether to, to say something next. And with that, my memory, um, there was a picture placed in my head of a memory of my original agreement of why I had come to earth to begin with. And it was like I, I remembered and I went, oh, right, right. I think, I think one of the things that I've thought about greatly is that one of the things that bothers me so tremendously about the metaphysical movement in lieu of my experience and in lieu of what I was shown, which, is a, which I think if there's any message that I can give, it's not about meditating and leaving your body and taking your light being out of this earth. Indeed not. It is about bringing the light into this earth. Stay here. Be an anchor. Let the light come in through you into this world. Don't abandon this world. We need you. We need you here. We need you to be present. And, and we need you to be open with an open heart. It reminds me, in a very silly way, of the book called Horton Hears a Who. Everybody must be open to bring this new age in. It is about opening your heart and letting it sing through you. It is coming. And it's a matter of all of us. Just open your heart and let it come in. Don't, don't leave. Don't meditate and, and think this place is a bad place and we're going to get out of here. This is a wonderful place. And it's going to be even more wonderful. You're here to anchor the light so it can come into this dimension and be here. However you say it, the main point is that something special is happening in the created universe. This is where the action is. This is where we want to be. It's more about expressing our divine natures in the created universe than waking up and getting out. And apparently, the program is not optional. NDEs are full of people who have been forced to return to this world when they didn't want to. While they desperately wanted to stay in blissful states of consciousness, the universe and their souls insisted that they return. What does this mean for you and me? It means that you and I may not be able to leave this world until we acquire the experiences we came here for, which means it's probably a good idea to learn as much as we can about the program. The program, or plan, that underpins all life has been with us since the beginning of time, but until now, it has only been seen in fragments. Unlike spiritual paths that emerge from the visions of singular human beings, the path presented by near-death experiences is emerging as a direct, grassroots revelation that millions of people from all over the world are receiving and sharing. 
For the first time in human history, the pieces to the great puzzle of life are finally assembling themselves. To learn more about the purpose of life according to near-death experiences, visit NHNE's Formula website. When near-death experiences are examined as a whole, it becomes clear that they are profoundly interested in integrating our spiritual and human natures. The two great themes that Dr. Jan Holden identified, loving and learning, echo this insight. These themes are also dramatically illustrated by Encounters with the Light and the Life Review. Encounters with the Light are the most transformative aspect of near-death experiences. The experience of being fully known and loved unconditionally and basking in a universe made of love changes everyone who experiences it. The Life Review is the second most transformative experience. Reliving the intimate details of our lives and seeing how everything we said, thought, and did affected others also dramatically changes those who experience it. With few exceptions, God and God's messengers are not the one judging us during life reviews. We judge ourselves. What God and God's messengers do provide is love, understanding, and compassion. They also point out things that we might otherwise overlook. While near-death experiences come wrapped in many different packages, the underlying themes and truths are the same around the world. The reason NDEs are so different on the surface is that they are filtered through the minds, emotions, beliefs, and developmental level of the person who experiences them. Most NDEers report that the light or godlike being they encounter is a distinct sentient being. It not only loves them personally, wholeheartedly, and unconditionally, but it also knows absolutely everything about them. After our bodies die, we continue to experience ourselves as distinct beings. We may also experience being one with God and the rest of creation. This includes feeling all-knowing and all-powerful. We are all one, literally, and we should act accordingly. I think this is one of the most remarkable aspects of a near-death experience, and it's one that's not really given the amount of attention that it should. Obviously, many people know about the light, they know about the out-of-body experience, but the thing that really is, I think, important about the near-death experience and in, in regard to the life review phenomenon is it isn't just a life review. It's a reliving of your life. And when people describe this, not it's not always done in this way, but when people describe the full experience, it's every single act that you have done every single thought that you have thought every single word that you have spoken suddenly all of this is back with you you have uh, you have you are running through it again and as you say you see and you experience the effects of these acts these thoughts and these words other people let me just give you one brief example to illustrate this i have a friend who had an, uh, who when growing up was kind of a uh, a roughneck. He had, had a hot temper and he was always getting into scrapes. And one day he was driving in his truck through the suburb in the town where he lived 
and he almost hit a pedestrian. And he got very aggravated at this pedestrian, and he was a very big physical guy, still is. And uh, a fight ensued, and he punched this guy out and left him unconscious on the pavement, got back into his truck and roared off. Fifteen years later, this guy has a near-death experience. Oddly enough, it was caused by, uh, by an accident in regard to his own truck at that time. But in any event, he has a near-death experience, and during the near-death experience, he has a life review. And in his life review, this particular scene where, of the fight takes place again, comes up in his life review. And he said that, as many people do, he, had, he kind of experienced this from a dual aspect. There was a part of him that was almost as if he were high up in a building, looking through a window and seeing the fight below. But at the same time he was observing the fight like a spectator, he found himself in the fight, except this time he found himself in the role of the other person. And he felt all 32 blows that he had rained on this person originally 15 years ago, now being inflicted upon himself. He felt his teeth cracking. He felt the blood in his teeth. He felt everything that this other person must have felt at that particular time. It was a complete role reversal, an empathic uh, life review experience. And this is the sort of thing that many people report. And when they report these kinds of experiences, they realize that in our life, we are the very people that we hurt. We are the very people that we help to feel good. And we experience these actions as though done to ourselves in the life review. So that when people start talking about the, the golden rule in the context of the near-death experience, the golden rule is not just a precept for moral conduct, it's the way it works. And you experience this during the life review. And you learn that lesson in a very forcible way as a result of going through this kind of experience. And that's why when people have NDEs, they change as much as they do. Because if, can, if you can even imagine what it must be like to go through your entire life and see everything that you've ever done without judgment, but, but from a kind of almost omniscient point of view with regard to the effects of those actions, and see what your actions do to other people, it's a heavy kind of lesson, and you're not, you're not, some, it, it's something that, st that stays with you, and it informs your conduct for, you know, for the time after your near-death experience. So it does give us a lot to think about, and that's why I say in my book, Lessons from the Light, the near-death experience isn't given just to those who have the experience, it's given to all of us to learn from, because all of us can profit by the lessons that near-death experiences learn in the course of the life review or other aspects of their experience, and we can grow from these lessons, and we can apply these lessons into our daily life. Life reviews also teach us that our intentions are more important than what we say and do that our actions affect the entire universe, and that the little things are the big things. And this recounting for the deeds of one's life is not like we would think at all in terms of this life. Because what was important were the choices that I made. And what was more important than, than just the choices that I made were my motivations and my intents and really the state of my heart in doing any single action. And I realized in this, because I experienced sort of in a holographic uh, the awareness that was, was rather instantaneous, how every action that one takes is like a stone cast in the water and if it's loving that stone 
you know, is cast in the water and the loving action goes out and touches the first person that it's intended for and then it touches another person and then it touches another person because that person interacts with other people and so on and so on. And every action has a reverberating effect upon every single one of us on the face of this planet. So if I had committed a loving action it was like love upon love upon light. A, lo a loving, a purely loving action was the most wonderful thing that I could ever achieved in my life. This had more meaning than to have been a Rockefeller or president of the United States or to have been, you know, a, a great scientist and to have invented something just incredible. If I had committed a truly pure and loving action, it had reverberated throughout the stuff of every individual on in that planet, and I felt their, that action reverberating through them and through myself. And I felt it in a way that uh, is beyond what we can even feel ourselves on this plane of existence. So, um, the significance of one's actions totally changed. What was not important was anything that I had, you know, owned or, 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 or known intellectual, you know, there's a sense of intellectual pride, not that knowledge is bad, knowledge is good, but, but it, what was important was the purity and the motivation of every action. And I recall the most important of my actions is an instant I would never have recalled except for the near-death experience. And that's that many years ago. Um, I had worked every summer as a, as a volunteer with retarded children. There was a day camp that went on and I spent all summer going every day, eight hours a day, to this day camp. And there was a, a child uh, one time uh, it wasn't as if I were being rewarded for taking good actions, you know, like writing down actions. What was important was, again, the motivation and the purity and the sincerity of my acts. And I had taken a child aside on a very hot day, and this was not a charming or a particularly lovable child, but I wanted this child to feel loved. I wanted this child to feel really the love of God that brought him into existence and that brought us all into existence. And I took him aside, although I wasn't religiously motivated, you know, formally. I just wanted him to feel love. I took him aside and, and uh, sang to him and gave him something to drink and just spend some time with him. And he was very agitated, but I just wanted him to feel that, that love. And that was the greatest of all actions. And that filled me with just unspeakable and incomprehensible joy. And it was not an action that anyone noticed. And it was not an action that I even recalled. And it was not an action that I had done with any thought of reward. It was simply an action motivated by love, by selfless love. And this had great meaning. Near-death experiences also teach us that we need to love ourselves as deeply as God loves us. But we also need to understand that we can't love ourselves as deeply as God does until we have personally experienced 
God's love for us. So how can we connect with God so we can experience His, Her, Its love for us? Near-death experiences suggest that there are many very powerful things that we can do to connect, including imagine that God loves us and treat ourselves accordingly, love and serve others, pray and meditate, feel and express gratitude, see the humor in life, tell the truth to ourselves and to others, spend quality time in nature, spend time with others who have experienced the light, embrace threshold experiences, and study near-death experiences and related phenomena. All these activities help lift us into the presence of God, which helps us feel God's love. Once we feel God's love for us, we naturally love ourselves and others, which in turn helps us experience even more of God's love. Many near-death experiencers report that God has a delightful sense of humor. So do God's representatives. They encourage us to follow their example. I remember after my experience, um, I had the simplest situation where two cable guys showed up at my house. And if we talk about um, what I discovered is the divine having a sense of humor, um, just things are things are funny, um, but two cable guys show up at the house, and they were wearing their um, their uniforms for work, and they were there to um, hook up the cable for the TV. And I, I guess my husband had made an appointment, and he you know he had to go to work right after my NDE. He had, had to be at work, very busy taking care of the family, and so I was you know at home in this state with the kids and just trying to figure out how to function and the cable guys show up and when I open the door I saw them like how the divine sees sees them and it was just like I couldn't stop laughing <laughs> and I was trying not to be rude but to me they looked like if you imagine little kids going into the closet and trying clothes on and trying to look really serious and showing up at the door and being like we're the cable guys <laughs> and I just was like I it was I can't describe it and there and so I was like oh okay. <laughs> I brought them in and they were just really serious about their job like we're here to hook up the TV <laughs> and to me it was just so funny because I was so disconnected from things like television and watching football or you know um, sitcoms and stuff like but you know my husband wanted to he needs his time to relax and kind of stop thinking because he's at work all day and so I just didn't realize that this appointment was coming. And while they were hooking it up, they were asking me really simple questions like, okay, so what channel do you want? Do you, you know, do you want ESPN? Do you want the cartoon channel? <laughs> everything they were asking me was busting me up. And I got to where I couldn't, I felt like I was being rude because they have an important job. They're, there's nothing that isn't important. Everything that people do is a part of their own vital experience, and it's all beautiful, really. It's just that I, it, it felt totally different to me. So I had to actually, I told them, I'm really sorry, I think I'm sick or something. <laughs> and one of the guys said, did you, did you take, uh, I think he said, um, Robitas or Nightwill. He said, "Did you take? Did you say take some?" And I was just like wiping the tears and blowing my nose. And I finally said, "I, you know what? 
you guys can hook up anything you want. I can leave the room. And so I um, had to leave because I knew at some point it was going to just look like I was being rude, you know? And so I said, I will just whatever you want and call my husband, please. But I saw people from then on, like the way we see toddlers when they're playing. And I see that despite how we age here, we get older and we take ourselves seriously and we think, you know, I have this important thing I'm doing. That the divine just is like, lighten up, you know? It's okay, you can lighten up. And I, I tended to be so serious that from what I came from. I worried so much. I thought things were so serious and I, I wanted to please God, you know, and I prayed so much and and now through the divine I was seeing it's totally okay to just have fun and laugh and I was laughing so much I was wheezing and I didn't even know I had asthma. <laughs> are we taking ourselves too seriously? What kind of funny costumes are you dressing up in? To learn more about the fantastic sense of humor that appears in near-death experiences, you can visit the Heavenly Humor page on NHNE's Formula website. Other core truths presented by near-death experiences include the idea that everyone has a unique purpose in life. Our happiness and well-being depend on us fulfilling our part in the grand scheme of things. It is, therefore, very important to be ourselves and not try to be someone else. Near-death experiences contain endless accounts of spiritual beings and angels. Many report that we all have guardian angels who look after us. While these beings are present all the time, their help is especially effective when we consciously ask for it. Let's listen now to near-death experiencers Lorna Burns, U.S. Senator Mark Kirk, and Howard Storm describe their encounters with angelic beings. Near-death experiences um, occur um, to different people all across the world, and it is in order to help us to, to have more faith, to believe you know, that there is more to life, that we're not just flesh and blood, that we have a soul. Um, and the only way I can help you out there is to share um, one of my near-death experiences. And that was the time when I was pregnant and the Archangel Michael told me that, you know, my baby was going to die, that I wasn't going to give birth to a live child. And the day that happened, I died as well. My soul lifted out of my body, carrying in my arms the soul of my baby, and I went to heaven. And it was just like this beautiful tunnel that, that twisted or spiraled like a staircase, and it was full of angels, glowing white angels. They were literally everywhere all around me. And as I moved along, all of a sudden, this beautiful white angel stood right in front of me and she had her arms out and she said, Lorna, you weren't meant to come with your baby. And I just looked at my baby and looked at her and I said, I love my baby. I want to stay. And she said, I couldn't. I have to go back. And she was just so, so beautiful. And just seeing her, her hands as, as she moved forward to take my baby and myself having to give my baby to her reluctantly. I didn't want, I loved my baby, I wanted to stay. And I always remember she saying to me, look back 
and turning around and, and looking back and, and seeing my husband, Joe, and my other children. Um, and he's shaking me and saying, don't die on me. And even seeing them, I still wanted to stay there in heaven because in heaven, you can do so much more for those you love on earth. And, but in heaven, you're just, oh, how can I explain it? You, you don't feel any pain. There is just so much joy and love you feel within yourself. You're just so, so perfect and you don't want to go back. And she just said to me again, Lorna, you have to go back. And I knew I had to, but yet I didn't want to. And all of a sudden I heard God speak in an authoritative voice, you know, saying I had to go back, I had to return. And just at that moment, the angel, so gentle and lovingly, reached in and took my baby from me. And just seeing my baby at that moment turn and look at me and smile and his beautiful blue eyes, I always remember that. And then him looking towards the angel, smiling and his little arms, you know, going up slightly in that, in that way and the angel taking him and at the same moment I went back to my human body. What happened, uh, I went downtown and was at Northwestern Memorial in, in the ICU, underwent three brain surgeries where the issue was brain swelling which would create such a pressure on the lower brain stem and could be fatal. My doctor said without the uh, procedure, I would have been dead in, within three days. Wow. And uh, I do remember waking up in the ICU, not exactly knowing where I was. Mm -hmm. Probably it was a pharmacological event. Yeah. I think there was a lot of that in my system. Mm -hmm. Uh, I read in the Daily Herald today about angels. You did? Right. Did you feel as if there were angels there? I did. I felt like there were three angels in the room. And interestingly, they had New York accents. Probably because the last movie I'd seen was on Channel 11, was the original Ocean's Eleven, the Brat Pack movie. And uh, so, you know, they, I, I sort of thought they were there in the ICU. They probably have a regular gig there because of the issues. <laughs> right, right. And yet you said, no, not yet. Yeah, and they said, uh, Mark, you, you want to come with us? You know, he can come, you, can, you can come with us if you want. Complete New York accent. Is that crazy? You know, the way they introduced themselves, they said, uh, Mark, uh, we're, we're angels. We're really angels uh, down here. Wow. And establish that simpatico thing. You want to come with us? I said, no, I'll hold off. This was the biggie. This was the ace I've been hiding up my sleeve. I said, you can't send me back. And I said, why? And I said, I have never, I've never known anybody that loved me like you did. I've never known anybody that knew me like you do, because you know me better than I know me. And I said, if you send me back, it'll kill me. I will die of a broken heart. And they said, you're not paying attention. Has there been a moment in your life when we have ever been apart from you, when you have ever been alone or separated from us? 
I went, no, but like I never saw you, I never talked to you, I never felt you. Is it going to be like that when I go back? And they said, it's going to be exactly like that. And I said, well, it's kind of like being alone when you can't see, hear, feel, taste, touch. You know, the person who's with you, it's like they're not there. You know, um, it feels lonely. And I said, that would kill me in loneliness to be apart from you. And I said, there is a way to get in touch with us. And I said, how do you do that? And they said, be still, get quiet, talk to us, tell us everything you want to say, then be really quiet and still and invite our love into your heart. And you'll know that we're right there. And you'll know our love right there. Um, This works. It really works. Get it all out. Tell them everything. I bet you don't believe that God, Jesus, the angels want to know the trivia of your life. You're wrong. They want to know. They want to know everything. They want to know your hopes, your fears, your mistakes, your successes. When you get through that, whatever it is that comes out of your mind, that comes out of your heart, and you give it up to God, this is just sort of clearing the decks so that you can listen. That's why you're doing this. Because they already know all this stuff. But they're not bored, but they already know. After you've cleared the decks, listen. Feel. Open your heart up. To learn more about angelic encounters that are reported during near-death experiences, visit the Angels page on NHNE's Formula website. Angels aren't the only ones invisible to human eyes. The unseen world is teeming with life. One analogy is to imagine the Earth and the physical universe is one channel on a radio. While we are incarnated in this world, most of what we see and hear is played on this one station. But there are trillions of other channels. These are the wild, wonderful, and sometimes frightening stations that near-death experiencers tune into when they leave this world. What do they see and learn? Loved ones and relatives from the past, present, and future are present. Many of these beloved beings keep an eye on us while we journey through this world. On the other side of life, everything is alive. Animals, including beloved pets, flowers, trees, mountains, planets, stars, even the light that forms celestial domains is conscious, sentient, and communicative. Many NDEers report that music of indescribable beauty is everywhere. NDEers also report that there are schools and communities and great gatherings of souls engaged in all kinds of activities. The physical universe is also teeming with life. There is life on other worlds and in other dimensions. Life appears in a vast multitude of exotic forms. The world is a dream. So, too, is the rest of the physical universe. Time and space are illusions. Among other things, this means the past, present, and future are all happening now. This means we can communicate with past, present, and future realities now, and change them, and learn from them, and do many other strange and wonderful things. As a side note, many near-death experiencers return to this world with a profound interest in quantum physics. 
When viewed from the perspective of God, even the most awful events serve a glorious purpose. Life, in other words, is perfect and beautiful. No one is lost. All woundings, injuries, and injustices are temporary and transitory. All is well. The author of Desert Dorada was right when he wrote, Whether or not it is clear to you, no doubt the universe is unfolding as it should. All obstacles and setbacks, all tragedies and traumas, all terrors, torments, and suffering are blessings in disguise. When we embrace them and learn the lessons they come to teach, they transform into pearls of great price. Many Indi-ears experience miraculous healings. We should therefore live our lives knowing that miracles are possible and inevitable when we connect with God, God's messengers, and the divine parts of ourselves. Our thoughts and feelings create our realities. We should therefore learn to monitor and consciously direct the inner chatter that fills our heads and hearts. Near-death experiences are very, very clear on this. Deep down we all know exactly what's happening and what our true motivations are. While we can deceive ourselves and others in this world, deception is not possible in the next. Since we are all held accountable for everything we think and do, it is better to see the truth, speak the truth, and live the truth now than wait for a life review to reveal all the sneaky things we did when we thought no one was looking. Work on Shadow Issues Relationships with others are where shadows emerge most fully. Dreams are a fantastic tool for helping us identify and work through shadow issues. Near-death experiencer Cami Renfro offers this wise counsel. Examine your shadow fearlessly, bringing your unconscious energies into new relationship and alignment with the whole. When we can lovingly recognize our dark and light and respect the information brought to us by our dark, our flaws, our challenges, our pain, we can begin to channel the energies more effectively and put their power to work for us. Between 1 and 15 percent of near-death experiencers report having a hellish or distressing experience. The statistics we have on this are shaky because many people who have hellish or distressing experiences don't want to talk about them. While some near-death experiencers don't believe hellish realms exist, when you study NDEs as a whole, it becomes clear that both heavenly realms and hellish ones not only exist, but exist as both states of consciousness and places in consciousness. Denying that hellish realms exist doesn't make them less real or less frightening to those who experience them. Denying the reality of these realms does, however, encourage those who experience them not to share their experiences. In such cases, the people who need help the most don't receive it. Both hellish realms and heavenly ones are created by individuals and collections of individuals who are vibrating at similar levels of development. Many near-death experiencers who report hellish or distressing experiences tend to be excessively materialistic, selfish, and self-centered, and or engage in brazenly self-destructive activities. They also tend to discount 
or feel disconnected from God and other spiritual realities. This includes people who appear to be spiritually motivated but are really using spiritual and religious trappings to pursue selfish and materialistic goals such as acquiring money, power, and adoring followers. In other words, people who tend to be overly focused on the material world and or overly disconnected from their spiritual natures appear to be more likely to experience hellish NDEs. Being overly selfish and materialistic are not the only things that can produce hellish experiences. We might also find ourselves in hellish realms by forcing the doors to other realities open by using drugs and other consciousness expanding techniques. Visits to hellish realms might also occur naturally as learning and testing experiences or phases in a purification process. Although rare, young children can also experience hellish near-death experiences. Whatever causes hellish and distressing NDEs, it is important to remember that these experiences can be exceedingly traumatizing to those who experience them. We can help by being compassionate and non-judgmental. We can also help by encouraging people to share their stories so we can learn more. For the record, near-death experiences indicate that God is not sending anyone to hell. We create our own hells and heavens by the way we live our lives, by the thoughts we think, the emotions we express, the way we treat ourselves and others. Whatever we think and do in this world is reflected back to us a thousandfold in the afterlife. This means that heavenly experiences and hellish ones and everything in between are mega, super, hyper real when compared to this world. Many near-death experiencers who visited hell discovered that the way out was to call out to the divine for help. To learn more about near-death experiences and the power of prayer, visit the Power of Prayer on NHNE's Formula website. Some near-death experiencers also report that learning how to observe hellish situations without reacting to them emotionally can break their spell and allow us to move on to other realms and experiences. This is good to know because what is true for hellish realms in the afterlife is also true for hellish places and states of consciousness in this world. Calm down, observe, ask the divine for help. To learn more about hellish and distressing experiences, visit NHNE's Formula website. Finally, while this presentation focuses on classic near-death experiences, there are many other spiritual experiences that allow people to experience similar things, including near-death-like experiences, shared-death experiences, spiritually transformative experiences, out-of-body experiences, deathbed visions, and after-death communications. To learn more about these experiences, visit NHNE's Formula website. Let's start putting all the pieces together now. We'll begin with the two great themes that Dr. Jan Holden identified, loving and learning. Loving is associated with encounters with the light, which in turn 
is related to heaven and being perspectives. In the formula for creating heaven on earth, this is the vertical beam. Learning is associated with the life review, which is related to earth and becoming perspectives. In the formula, this is the horizontal beam. In order to be happy and healthy, we need to incorporate both perspectives into our lives. In Dr. Jeffrey Long's study of 1300 NDEs, 65% described encountering a mystical or brilliant light. Only 22% reported a life review. People who experience life reviews often receive valuable information that is not included in experiences with the light. For example, people who experience life reviews can be shown why they chose to come to Earth, why being here is important, what their purpose is, and why their life has unfolded the way it has. When it comes to being in this world, this is very helpful information. The problem with getting too much light and love and not enough life review-like grounding perspectives is that we don't want to be in this world. Here's one sobering statistic that suggests many near-death experiencers don't understand the value of this world and why they were sent back. Some NDE studies indicate that 21% of near-death experiencers attempt suicide within 15 years of their experience. Near-death experiencers who are forced to return to this world often feel angry at God or disgust with themselves because they feel they were kicked out of heaven. Many also report arguing and having fits, like little children, when they are told they must return. Would people calm down and be more willing to return to this world if they understood why coming here is important? Yes, and many do after they are shown. Some near-death experiencers resonate so deeply with the light that they ignore, neglect, and disown the human side of their natures. Knowing that the world isn't real, that our bodies are illusions, and that the created universe is a dream, they embark upon a path of self-denial, self-gratification, or self-destruction. Bottom line, understanding and incorporating horizontal, life-review-like perspectives into our lives are extremely important. It is also extremely important to ground and incorporate vertical perspectives into our life. To summarize, thoughts and actions that are overly materialistic, selfish, and self-centered, that deny the existence of God and spiritual realities, that overemphasize worldly concerns, can pave the way for very unpleasant experiences. Thoughts and actions that overemphasize spiritual realities, that focus excessively on waking up and leaving this world, that underemphasize the importance of forming healthy relationships with other human beings and the rest of life can also pave the way for very challenging experiences. We are like ecosystems. In order to be healthy, all the different aspects of ourselves need to be acknowledged, cared for, and working together. When we over or underemphasize some aspects of ourselves at the expense of other aspects, disharmony and disease soon follow. Many near-death experiencers report that their lives, personalities, careers, relationships, and perspectives on life are completely changed by their experiences. Many also experience healings of all kinds. Many return with spiritual gifts and abilities. These transformative experiences do not, however, magically transform us into perfect beings. 
If we were immature, undeveloped, and dysfunctional before our spiritual experience, we'll be immature, undeveloped, and dysfunctional after the razzle-dazzle of our experience wears off. While spiritual experiences provide a vision of where we are headed and practical tools to help us get there, we can't sustain these experiences until we have built a consciousness that can ground and contain them. Here are comments from four near-death experiencers that illustrate the challenges that many NDEers face. One of the issues I've had for years and years since is that I get really frustrated that I can't feel God on command in every situation anymore. I don't live in bliss all the time like I did after my NDE. This failing of mine has caused me a lot of distress. I couldn't make sense of why I would be given such a vision, such an experience, such a profound awakening, only to lose it or have it yanked away, leaving me only with a memory of what I used to know and live and feel. After my near-death experience, I wrongly assumed that I was going to be a saint, that I would not have a temper, anger, or lust, or make mistakes at all, that somehow I had been elevated to this superior person. To my horror, I found out that wasn't the case at all. I still struggle with my own worldly and personal issues. I only feel more awakened and conscious, with some abilities and understanding that have increased. My NDE left me with the knowledge that my life was a sham. My relationships pretend. I've spent 40 years since then being open and willing to learn more about myself, others, and the God of my understanding. Near-death experiences teach us that we have to do the hard work of building containers for the divine. And we have to do this without skipping steps, taking shortcuts, or hoping fairy godmothers zap all of our problems away with magic wands. One of the ways we learn this lesson is by getting sent back again and again until we understand the program and master it. What do I mean by building containers for the divine? I felt like trillions of billions of gigabytes of information being downloaded to me. And let me make it a little bit more clear. Imagine a computer, imagine a laptop, a little piece of metal that is worth $100. It's nothing, it's a piece of metal. You just take a wire, connect the laptop to the wire, connect the wire to the wall, and within a split second, this little piece of metal that is worthless has access to all the information in the world within a split second using the internet. One press of a button, any type of search you will make, that little piece of metal, that computer, has access to get information through the internet. Any type of information. I felt like I'm this little entity being connected to the main mother source of information. I can't even say internet, but the main source of information. And as if endless amounts of information is being downloaded to me simultaneously. And this is what it was. I was able to see God's wisdom and derive non-normal pleasure from it.
There's no words to describe that pleasure. And when I get a lot of the question, but what did you see? What do you mean you saw God's wisdom? What, what are the secrets of the universe? There's no, there's no really words to put it in. It's just, there's no words to put it in. It's just understanding something that is beyond what our mind can understand. Our mind is limit, and this is limitless. Something limited cannot understand something limit, limitless. And as this whole process of the downloading of the, of the information, first of all, nothing, nothing stayed. I wasn't able, I didn't have the, the ability to, to, to hold it. I didn't have the ability to, 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 to sustain it. I just had, it just washed me. I didn't have the vessel to actually hold that information. And as it was going, as pleasure, pleasurable as it was, there was also a tremendous strong feeling of, of the opposite of pleasure, that I can't hold it, that I can't sustain it, that I can't grasp it and keep it. It says in many sources that our acts in this world creates that spiritual vessel that when our soul leaves the body, it has the tools to actually hold that godly light, to hold that godly revelation, to be able to hold that godly wisdom. I wasn't able to hold it. I was able to see it, I was able to enjoy it, but I wasn't able to, to, to hold it. So simultaneously, well, there's a tremendous feel of pleasure, and at the same time, this very strong feeling of the opposite of pleasure. I don't really know how to define it, because it wasn't, wasn't really sorrow, it was just a feeling of that I can keep it. Almost like taking a little kid to a, to a toy store and letting him run there and at the end of the day tell him, okay, now we have to go home. You can't keep any of the toys. You have to leave all the toys here. Now it's time to go home. The other thing was feeling like I was not even human anymore. That I had been changed somehow into this spiritual being that walked through life and would look up at the sky and see the trees and feel this amazing, amazing love that God has. It was permeating everything. It was in the rocks, it was in the trees, and I could feel it. And I walked around in this bliss cloud for two weeks, just knowing God and feeling His love so profound. And then it started to fade. And I kind of freaked out and I started to pray and I'm like, Heavenly Father, why, why are you pulling away? Am I not being good enough? Am I, is something wrong? And he said, Ryan, I've carried you for two weeks. Now I'm walking beside you. You need to learn and reach out and learn how to bring me into you and how to encourage that relationship that we have with each other. And so that was the next part of my journey. So how exactly do we build a consciousness that can contain and embody the divine? How do we reach up to God and learn how to bring this force fully into our life? The human side of our nature is like a colander. The less developed we are, the more holes we have. The more developed we are, the fewer holes we have. The holes represent lack of development, defects in character, unresolved shadow issues, everything that is not perfect about our human natures. The way we build solid containers for the divine, the way we are able to experience the divine and never lose our connection with it, is through learning to be in loving relationship with all life.
This means we need to be in loving, conscious relationship with everyone and everything, with our bodies, our minds, our emotions, our environment, the food we eat, plants and animals, our neighbors, our enemies, and of course, the unseen spiritual forces of life. The more loving relationships we form, the more we experience God and the greater our ability to sustain that connection. How are these ideas applied in real life? Watch Groundhog Day. Bill Murray's character, Phil Connors, transforms from an arrogant and egocentric TV weatherman into a Christ figure, and he does it true to life in the same sloppy, humorous, convoluted way that most of us do. Being genuinely present and treating everyone and everything we meet with love and compassion is the path championed by near-death experiences. The ultimate goal is to bring heaven to earth, to transform all of us and the world we share into perfect embodiments of the divine. When we put everything together that I've shared with you today, what emerges is a philosophy for creating heaven on earth. The formula for creating heaven on earth is an attempt to wrestle this information into concrete practices that can be used to transform our lives and world. The current version of the formula is an early primitive model. It is continuing to evolve as new information emerges and our understanding deepens. Unlike spiritual paths that arose from the ideas and inner experiences of lone, isolated human beings, the path presented by near-death experiences is emerging as a direct grassroots revelation that millions of people from all over the world are receiving and sharing. If we explore this newly emerging path deeply enough, we discover that all religions, philosophies, and cultures are honored that science and spirituality are celebrated, that both the human and spiritual side of our natures are cherished and embraced. In short, near-death experiences present us with a universal, all-inclusive, perfectly integrated spiritual path that revolves around three core truths. We are all one. Love is the essence of life. We are here in this world to become perfect embodiments of the divine. <laughs>